You're listening to the Electric Sheep podcast. I'm Alex Fitch, and on today's show, I'm talking to actor Kevin Howarth about his career so far in a variety of iconic, low-budget British horror movies, such as Razorblade Smile and The Last Horror Movie in the early 2000s, to the new film The Seasoning House, which is released in cinemas across the UK this week. I guess as a British horror film, it's unusual that it really kind of mixes in concerns about recent conflicts across Europe. And that sort of cross-pollination of genre isn't something that we're that used to. No, I know. And that's what I really love about it. That's that's the one aspect of the film that I really like. Um, Because for me, it punches way above its weight. And it's not just, you know, oh, another British horror movie in the panoply of all the other British horror movies. It's, it's, it's something a little bit edgier to it that creates discussion. You know, it creates discussion about that whole side of things, not just what may or may not have happened in, you know, the Balkans with in that war of attrition and during that war of attrition, probably what is going on there even now, mm. but the whole thing of the sex slave trade industry, that whole subject matter, I think it's... It's, it's way up for discussion. If it, and it, well, it is being discussed, as we know, and things are happening almost weekly now. Mm. You know, in newspaper, we open, something else has happened. If it isn't in Rotherham with a bunch of taxi drivers, it's in Oxford. And then it was in the West End of London recently with a load of Russians. And you think, my God, this, this is just surrounding us, you know. Never mind war zones. It's actually going on in our backyard. So it's, it's a horrible world and a horrible situation for these young women mm. so the fact that we've tapped into that in that in our film and also in a far more realistic you know a very realistic way rather than for titillation that we're very proud of and yeah. uh, i hope that comes across you know i really do and i'm glad it does with you mm. Well, I mean, I was going to ask, you're obviously um, quite used to appearing in thrillers and horror movies, and so you know how to judge the performance when it comes to creating a tense situation. But in a film like this, where it's set against a backdrop like that, do you find yourself going back to um, historical transcripts of people who were involved in that that conflict, just to give yourself more of a flavour of the environment? Well, I mean, anybody I would play, you know, you, you do your homework, you know, you go off and do your homework. Someone tells you, you, you know, that when I, when Paul sent me the script and he said, look, I've always had you in mind to play Victor, Kevin, so read the script, tell me what you think. I read it literally in an hour. I loved it because it was such a tight story and I thought, okay, you know, you got me, man, you know, and uh, I think it's going to make it, I think you're onto something and it could make a really, really good tight film. Mm. And, uh, but once you make a decision and once we year ago, you're getting on with your homework. I actually start thinking about it. The minute, the minute I start reading a script, if someone says to me, oh, this character, I can't help myself. I suddenly start thinking about it straight away. You know, what can I do? Where am I going? You know, and but with this, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you look at sort of um, historical footage. Uh, you, I read a lot. I look at, a, I, I read an awful lot, and I've got lots of books on my shelves in my library of <laughs> all of this kind of world. Um, but you know, we've got so much at our fingertips now as well, news reels and news footage, and and yes, absolutely, looking at certain characters who were quite well known. Uh, Bosnian war criminals, but also looking at unknown Bosnian war criminals that mm. people wouldn't know about, finding photographs of them, finding information, watching Bosnian men, 
looking at them. If I'd have had the time, I would have gone out there on a holiday. I would have gone out there on a trip if I'd have had the time just to get the feeling of the place. Um, but there wasn't time for that. So um, you just have to go with what you've got to your, at your fingertips and go with it. But um, I love, look, that's part of the joy of, mm. of being an actor, digging that deeply into someone and, and working on that and getting the right tone and the right weight to the character and the right feeling. So, yeah, that, that's, that's meat and gravy to me. I love it. <laughs> And he's a very interesting character that you're playing in that he's not um, specifically black or white in terms of being a hero or villain, although he's very amoral when it comes to the women that he's forced into prostitution. The relationship that he has um, with the deaf girl, who is like the, um, the final girl of the movie, is very ambiguous, so that in several situations you don't know whether he's going to be on her side or on the side of his comrades, which I think must make for a very interesting character to play. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I'm glad you noticed that as well. I'm glad that comes across because, you know, I, I, I've i always believed that, you know, for any actor, actress playing a role, you know, nobody in the world, nobody on the planet is ever just, you know, one dimensional character. You know, everybody is nuanced. Everybody has a good and a bad side. And I love it when I get a character that the way it's written and I can find some depth there and keep digging and digging and digging until you can bring out those nuanced nuances of that person the flavor of them i actually look for the the things i look for first in someone if i'm playing someone who on the paper you think all right okay he's a bad guy he's the bad character you then i look for all the signs that well what made him that way well you know he is somebody's son mm. and he has a mother somewhere and every and somebody people are always made like that what's created that was it the war was it his childhood so you create a history for yourself, a history for your character, and that's where you can build on the on that sort of you know foundations to sort of like where you're going with this guy, and with all the things that you got at your fingertips as well, then you can. That's what you do. Just keep sculpting away at it. Start with this big piece of stone and just keep chipping away until you find this guy. And but I, I've always believed that it's it's not worth. I don't I don't think it's actually worth being an actor unless you 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 are. That's what you're doing with your characters. You've got to find that light and shade. And you're absolutely right. In the film, Victor, you really don't know where you are with him. For instance, you know, when Goran arrives, you know, suddenly that alpha male in him is diminished. Hmm. Because suddenly we have this other guy who is an old childhood friend of his. And you sense that there's a, an old comradeship there from before. But where is it going? Who's in control here? Who's in charge? And Victor's the kind of character that's constantly thinking on his feet all the time. Now, the wheels are always going around. He's a businessman. And his super objective is, quite frankly, actually, Alex, to get the hell out of there. Mm. If he could make enough money, he would get out of that country and probably be end up one of those guys that gets caught living in the south of France in the future. You know, one of those kind of guys. And that's, that's Victor all over. Mm. He's the guy that can get things. He's a bit of a wheeler dealer. But his brutality comes from a sheer business sense. You know, mm. it's, it's like... Yeah, really awful. And it's cold, like that kind of Nazi-style cold, sort of, you know, that sort of SS <laughs> kind of style of, you know, brutality, which was like, you know, well, we have to get to somewhere. That coldness. Mm. You, know, you could almost sort of, you know, in some characters, it'd be like when I played Max in the in the, the last horror movie or any of the other characters, I play, you, know, you know, when it comes to psychopaths or sociopaths, there's a mental history there. You get that. But with someone like Victor, you're, it's... You, you, you're always wondering if there's something else has damaged him. It's just like it's a war. Mm. He's in a war zone, and so and people act very, very differently when in a, in in a war zone. And so and the whole business with her, I think he sees 
in her scars. I think he sees in her deafness and her lack of vocal skills because of her muteness as well, the mute side of her and the, and the, and the sort of port wine birthmark on her face. I think he has an affinity with those scars mm. in her that are probably in himself. He knows he's got scars within himself. You know, who knows? Maybe his father beat the shit out of him when he was mm. a kid, you know. Maybe his mother was a bitch as well. You know, you don't know. But everybody's got those scars. And I think with... I always felt that when I was playing it, I felt he has an affinity with her. Mm. In actual fact, one of my suggestions initially was that I thought, Victor, it might work if he had a really, really nasty scar across his eye. But then I thought, well, that's good. And you get the sense of the him having a mirror image with her with the scar and her being scarred. But then Paul and I talked about it and we thought, yeah, because he's a special favorite. Mm. He, he, he just didn't want something too obvious that would be, oh, I see, scar on the face, bad guy. You know, you don't want that. Mm. So and, and I can understand that. I can understand that from a pictorial point of view in the film. So I got that. So we just had what we went with. And... But I love the fact that you've got that, the, the duplicity and the sort of, you, know, you really don't know, where's he going? And of course, that end scene, lots of people comment on the end scene. They really think when I take that knife, you just don't know what's going to happen next. But for me, that's the joy of film, watching a movie, isn't it? You're supposed to be on the edge of your seat, you know, I think. Mm. If you're sitting too comfortably, then, you know, what's the film about? Well, I wonder if that's what um, drew you as an actor to appearing in so many horror films in your career? Is it just the, the challenge of reacting to these unpredictable situations and, and feeling, finding both the good and the darkness in a character? Yeah, I think, look, I would imagine by now, at least I would hope so, that any filmmaker out there knows that if I'm whatever role I'm going to be given, then I'm going to find something that little extra, I hope. Because, look, that's part of what I do. That's what I want to do as an actor. That's what my job is to do, to really bring this particular character to life and bring it off the page mm. and you know um the horror side i mean it's kind of followed me rather than the other way around it's not something i've gone actively seeking and i think it's just one of those tricks of the business you know you play one character and you make a success of it and people talk about it the next thing people are coming up to you with all sorts of scripts and <laughs> it's another bad guy or it's another psychopath or it's another this I don't have a problem with playing them as long as in the script I can find something to get my teeth into. Mm. But there's something there. I mean, I've read other scripts where the bad guys are just so badly drawn or there's a character that's so badly drawn and I've turned I've turned things down and I said, no, I just don't want to do it because, I, you know, obviously, you know, diplomatically, of course, you know, but, you know, I just know when something is, has a, I just, it's just instinct. You mm. just have an instinct. You just feel it in your gut and you go, yeah, I can... This, this I sense something and others you just don't and you just go no it's not written well enough it's just not good enough you know and you usually find that if one character isn't written well enough most of the others aren't either and it's usually in, on, on the whole a bad script all round mm. so it's best to stay away from them because without a good script you're not going to get anything <laughs> um, well it's very rare it's, it's rarer than Rocking Horse crap you know you're going to get you are going to get a film that's got a bad script and it's going to be suddenly a great film. That isn't going to happen. You know, it always starts with the script. It always starts with a good story. And even if that needs to be tinkered with, it's going to get there in the end. <laughs> but as regards the, me doing those characters in horror, it's followed me. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I don't want to be known as like, oh, yeah, there's Kevin Hart. He's a horror actor. <laughs> that, would just, that would drive me a bit nuts. I'm an actor. Mm. And I just happen to have played these kind of characters. 
Even though um, this is the first film that you've appeared in that's been directed by Paul, uh, you've worked together yeah. before in the car uh, in the past, where he's provided uh, the makeup effects on My films makeup, yeah, yeah. Uh, like the um, the last horror movie. I mean, when you developed that relationship um, with another member of the uh, production team over a number of movies. I guess that's why you get drawn to working on the same projects together. Or maybe it's just because the British film industry is actually quite small. (laughs) (laughs) The funny thing is the British film industry is small, you know, and it is a small circle. But I met Paul many, many moons ago. I mean, we've known each other for, got to be 17, 18 years, maybe even longer. Mm. And he's always been a good friend. You don't, funny enough, the film industry is very fickle and, and very flighty. You know, you work with people very closely for a very short period of time and sometimes, you know, a little longer than that. But people often sort of at the end of movies, they go off, they do their own thing, you know, and there's very few people you honestly keep in touch with. But Paul's always been one of them. And right from the very beginning when Paul saw me work and I saw him work, he said to me, he goes, you know what, Ken, one day I really want to direct a movie of my own. Mm. He goes, and you're going to be in it. <laughs> Would you believe it? And then all those years later, after doing all that work, we come together on that one. And he just had absolutely no one else in mind to play. And I was really flattered by that. And I think the reason Paul's done such a good job on his debut feature is because he's been on so many films. Mm. He's experienced enough to know when a film is good, when a film is bad, when a film is being made badly, and when it's been made being made well. And he knows the difference. And he's been watching that over the years and noticing the things that go wrong and the things that go right. He's taken that on board and he's put it in the memory banks and he knows. I mean, and because of his visual effects makeup work is so detailed, I think when he came to the seasoning house for his debut, that's why there's such great detail in the film. You know, the the, the feeling of those rooms, the, the girls, the sort of, you know, the clothes, the, the look of it. Everything was very detailed. Mm. And, and, and he's good at that. And, he, you know, and, and that's what a director should be. You know, at the end of the day, a director's job is to frame the picture. That's what they're there for. Me, I'm his, his or hers paint. I'm their paint. You want me to be blue, green, yellow? I'll bring you all the colors you want. You just make sure you frame me right and get it all looking fantastic. Mm. That's their job. You know, and that's, that's the dividing line between that and that. If you start stepping into each other's zones, then that's, that's, the, wrong, that's the wrong feeling on the film for me. You know, so, and Paul and I, well, he just rolls the camera and lets me do my thing, and that's what I like, you know, to just let's get on with it, and I'll give him plenty of stuff to play with. So when he gets in the editing suite, hopefully he's got what he wants. And um, in terms of him applying uh, blood and prosthetics to you, um, you've worked again since on um, a new action film called Gallo Walkers. Oh yeah, well actually that was we worked on that a little while back. Yeah, we did a massive. He did a massive special effects makeup on me on that. There's a there's a scene where I'm the first time you see me in the movie. I'm I'm like skinned. You know, there's no skin on me. Wow, from <laughs> the head to the waist down. And we started doing that makeup at one o'clock in the morning and it took six hours. And, and then I had to go and film inside a black canvas tent in the middle of the Namibian desert. Wow. And it was about 40 degrees inside when we were filming. So you imagine filming in a sauna in a wetsuit. That's what it felt like. <laughs> so I just had to sort of breathe deeply and stay incredibly cool. And uh, yeah. I'm very, yeah, as God knows how that's come out. I haven't actually seen Gallo Walkers yet, but um, I've just heard in the last 48 hours that uh, Lionsgate have picked it up in the States, so we'll see what happens next. Mm. But um, no, I love working with Paul in any capacity because, like I say, it's not often that you keep 
good, solid, close friends to a profession like this. You know, everybody slips in and out, but he's definitely one of them. You know, I mean, I go drink, you know, I'll go and have a drink with Paul. We meet up. We know each other's, you know, friends. You know, we are friends. So it's, it's a great relationship. Yeah, it's a good guy. Cool. And I guess, you know, the whole thing about having um, the makeup effects as well is that it, you look in the mirror wearing these things and actually helps create the character because you're halfway there already. Oh, yeah, every time. Every time, you know, you build, you know, building the character, that's the joy of it, you know, and getting the look right and the makeup right, you know, and then you work, you know, working on the voice and working on accents, whatever it needs to, whatever you need to do to get there, you, you, you do your thing. And, you know, every actor has their own way of doing what they need to do. And it's not up for question, you know, as long as it doesn't become something that annoys everybody else on set and gets ridiculous. And, you know, I don't care how someone gets their character, you know, whatever they have to do, they go away and do it. So that's mm. fine by me. But as long as it stays within the boundaries of, you know, because, you know, you hear stories. I mean, luckily, I've never experienced it, but you, well, actually, funny enough, I probably have. <laughs> But, you know, you, you, you notice people when they start to kick up a fuss and get kind of wearying on everybody else and you just think, okay, well, you, know, you just take it on board and remember it. And just hope that you don't come across it again. Mm. I just like working with real pros. I like to get on with it and I like to see people who have done their homework. I like to work opposite an actor or an actress who's incredibly, you know, is as focused as I am so that you know that somewhere along the line you're going to get some great work. Like great jazz. It should be like great jazz. Mm. Well, there seemed to be a lot of uh, sparking off uh, Sean Pertwee in the scenes that you were in together. Oh, yeah, I love that scene. I, I particularly love, we particularly, both of us particularly enjoyed filming that scene in the office, you know, where we have that one-on-one. And uh, because there's history there, and in between the lines of that dialogue over the cognac, <laughs> there's this real history between them. And the wheedling out of, you know, you know, what I'm up to. Because in the backstory, even though the audience don't see it, is that I've actually been selling out people to the to the to the Americans and the British and the UN, you know. Hmm. And that's why he's keeping himself safe too at the same time. You know, it's all a bit of a sort of back end deal. But of course none of that's in the you know none of that comes out in the story and in the script. But between the lines, you know, you have to know what's going on here the thought process otherwise it's just a dead scene mm. so yeah i'm really proud that's a nice scene that is and sean and i had some great joy on that one yeah it's <laughs> a good day good day's work i mean talking to you now you seem like a fairly you know chilled out mellow person so where do you go to so. <laughs> where, yeah. where do you go to when you're kind of invoking you know the darkness in your character i mean putting on that role as it were for the camera mm, contemplation mm. i would say well, I don't like thinking, I'm not an oddball or anything, but, <laughs> you know, this world we live in, look, what's going on today, you know, with this, the electronic things, you know, of course, you know, I email and go on computers and do us, who doesn't, you know, but when it comes to things like Twittering and, you know, all this kind of social networking stuff and everybody's, it seems to have taken over, you know, I'm, I'm probably up on, you know, Hampstead Heath going for a run or <laughs> walking in the countryside somewhere or just thinking. I think the art of contemplation seems to be getting lost somewhere and people don't sit and just think mm. and just be quiet and read a book. And I'm very much into that. Mm. That's me. And I find a lot of solace in that, in the, in the, in the sort of quietness of that moment about my character. And I'll go, ah, that's it. Mm. And it'll be just something really silly, you know, something that I see something and I think, oh, that's it, you know, something that 
it was funny. I it was funny. I saw an interview with Anthony Hopkins years ago when he'd done Remains of the Day, mm. and he said in this interview that he was um, sitting in his room one day. I don't know why he was playing the piano, and he saw a spider in a web. And the web, he, the spider got a bit sort of caught, and the web sort of crumbled really slowly. And he said, and in that one moment, it suddenly hit him about this character who's playing in Remains of the Day. Hmm. And I thought, how weird! That's that's. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying, I mean, there are just certain little parallels there with what I do. I think and just be quiet and just, I see other things going on. Mm. I love going to pubs. I love going to pubs where I wouldn't normally go, like off the beaten track and just go in and have a chat with strangers or not, not just straight up to them like a lunatic, but you know, you, know, you <laughs> can talk to people at bars and I think that's where, that's where an actor should be. Mm. An actor should be with strangers. You know, an actor hanging out with a whole other bunch of actors in, you know, in the Soho house. What does that do for you? It's just a, it's just a load of nonsense, that, you know. <laughs> it's interesting that you mentioned Hopkins, actually, because obviously one of your early defining roles was in uh, the last horror movie. And at that point, yeah. I guess everyone thought of your stereotypical serial killer being like Anthony Hopkins, very kind of like, you know, uh, urbane with a, a glass of wine in one hand and a severed kidney in yeah, the other. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but your your role in that was very uh, iconic, and you know, I think it remains one of the most underrated British uh, horror films of the last twenty years. When it came oh, to, <laughs> well, when it came to playing that part, I mean, how on earth did you find your inner psychopath? Well, you know what? That's really interesting because that was when I really was very, very quiet and I did a lot of sitting in the bath. <laughs> I became wrinkled like a prune going through that one. And a lot of that was a lot of that was a lot of hard work between me and the writer in the script. But in actual fact the writer of that script, James Handel, I watched him a lot, funny enough. I watched him because I actually suddenly realised a few days in and a, about a week in not the filming but just from the very beginnings when I first got the script and Julian and myself and James were sitting around with it talking about it chewing the fat going through it the more I saw Jan I thought you know what he's writing this almost as if it's him mm. like he would love to sort of like step beyond that barrier and do something like this <laughs> so I watched him and I, took, I watched his mannerisms and the way he spoke and moved and everything and I took that on board and actually that's yeah I haven't told many people that before, actually, but I actually watched James on that one, and I, it was him that I was looking at more. And then, of course, I put it into my physicality hmm. and brought that character into my physicality, yeah. yeah. All the time thinking, perhaps I shouldn't be alone in a room with this guy. <laughs> <laughs> there is, I have to say, and James probably wouldn't mind me saying this, you know, anyway, he lives in LA now, but there is a little bit of madness about him. Yes, there definitely is a little bit of wackiness about him that's a bit sort of like, ooh, you know, <laughs> where's he going, you know? And uh, yeah, so I, I watched him an awful lot. Yeah, I was looking at him very closely. Mm. Yeah. And then I guess films like um, Razorblade Smile and Gala Walkers are far more action-y than the more uh, the quiet horror films that you've been in. With those more action-packed movies, um, do you find it hard to, to still have a presence on screen when there's so much um, action going on around you? Nah. <laughs> Simple answer, no. No, you know, look, uh, look I believe in everything that James Cagney and people, actors of that mm. calibre said, just stand in front of the camera and tell the truth. Mm. You have to tell the truth. Be truthful for who you're playing. Don't pose. It's not about posing and it's not about celebrity posing. It's not about being cocky and it's not about being, you know, look at me, look at me, jazz hands kind of thing. Acting is acting and it's a craft and you have to get it right. 
as I was, what's the point in doing it? Mm. And I was told, funny enough, I was told at drama college that I was by my head of drama and said, Kevin, you are a you are a character actor. And she said, and there's nothing else worth being <laughs> in the acting world. <laughs> so I thought, well, okay, fine, you know, I can leave all these sort of leading men sort of floppy haired to the other floppy haired guys, you know what I mean? Mm. There's plenty of young, good looking guys doing all that today, you know, all the sort of good looking leading roles or whatever. Fine. I, I would prefer to have a career, I hope, one day like a kind of, I don't know, I don't know, people like Willem Dafoe and Christopher Walken mm. and those kind of guys, you know, because I look to those guys and think, yeah, you've nailed it because you don't, you can still wander around and shop at your supermarket without getting hassled too much. <laughs> and yet, you know, people, you will be the go-to guy if they want something a bit special. Mm. You know, well, I hope that doesn't, I don't, but I don't mean that to sound egotistical, but I'd like to be, like, you know, as I go through my career, I'd like to be, that kind of level of like, you know, one day, hopefully, you know, that'll, hopefully I could be the go-to guy where they say, you know, let's get, it'll be great as that, la, 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 la. And I guess because you're an actor who's um, played roles with a fair amount um, of sort of sensitivity of quietness, as you mentioned before, I guess that's made it easier for you to do the many voice actor roles that you've been in as well, because they aren't reliant on physicality. They are, they are actually about the expression in the voice. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, the voice is incredibly important. I mean, that's your tools. You know, I mean, if you're doing voice work, you know, whether it be radio or a computer game or writing an audio book or whatever it is, and I've done all of that as well, and I've narrated stuff there with the BBC and all sorts of things, you know, your voice is an incredibly important tool. But it's, you know, at the end of the day, when you're on film, it's, ha you know, how your character looks and how you sound, that's what people get. Mm. That's what they see and hear. You know, they're not going to see and hear anything else. That's what they're going to see and hear. So, and it's funny you say that because I was just thinking earlier on today because somebody mentioned it was that I can't remember the last time I played a film, probably the last horror movie was the last film I did where I actually used something close to my own voice. You know, I mean, I did make him a little bit sort of middle class-ish and urbane, that sort of thing. Mm. But I did another short film called Two Peas with a lovely young actress called Emily Taft. And uh, that 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 was the last time I think I used my close to my own voice as well. Yeah, I've done so many different accents. It's quite scary, really. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun. It's fun. You know, it, it it removes you even further away from who you are, which is great. Which is what acting should be. Mm. And you've mentioned actors like um, Cagney, like Anthony Hopkins, like Willem Dafoe. Who were the actors that were inspirational for you when you were um, training? When I was training, when I was at drama college. Well, and I suppose to this this day, I suppose, you know, you see performances and you think, oh, I can use an aspect of that. Well, I wouldn't necessarily say I use an aspect of that. There are just people I admire for what they do for their work. You mm. know, I admire people who, are in, who work really hard at what they do. I like hard workers when they've got a role for a film and they're going to work hard at it. I mean, I think Daniel Day-Lewis clearly is the man that sort of like takes it to another level. The amount of work, it's its monolithic, you know, it's mm. just like, wow. You know, it's its, it's gargantuan. And, uh, and, and, the, and what he pulls off in the end, you know, it's, that's what it's about. It's about crafting somebody and becoming, an, and it's a portrayal of a character, you know, so that people forget that they're watching you, you hope. Um, um, but, you know, I, yeah, I, I look back at a lot of the old film stars as well, you know, just great, Humphrey Bogart. James Cagney was probably one of the greatest talents that ever came out of America. I think Charles Lawton is one of our mm. great, great actors, you know, simply because he's just so watchable, unbelievable. Um, 
but there's lots. There's a lot. Yeah, Willem Dafoe, Christopher Walken, you know, these guys, like, they're so good. You know, Willem Dafoe I like a lot, you know, and uh, uh, Dan Day-Lewis, Gary Oldman's always a great favourite, of course. You know, he's a masterclass, you know, if you watch him. Um, and the old guys, you know, the Brandos and the people like that. The early stuff that they did was better, though. I mean, <laughs> people like, I think Pacino and De Niro and those kind of guys, they it's all their early work that was their best work. Now mm. it's all become like, you know, where they get hired for who they are, you know, and it, they tend to just play themselves, really. And, uh, and then, you know, that might be heresy, but I, I think they do. And maybe there are times when they guys like that could have taken a bit of a rest from the business and just, you know, took a bit of a break for a while. Mm. But there are some wonderful actors. There's some wonderful actors out there that do some fantastic work. You know, you could just sit there all day drawing up a little bit of a list. <laughs> oh, I'm having a wee. I'm having a finger waved at me from Greg. I think uh, we, we, we've been joking. We should have been down the bar ballet. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe next time. Yeah. So. Cool. Well, that's been fantastic, and it's been lovely to talk to you. Fantastic. Thanks, Alex. The Seasoning House is in UK cinemas now, and you can find out more information about the film at theseasoninghouse.com Our next week's show, Virginie Selavy, will be talking to publisher, author and musician Mark Pilkington about his documentary Mirage Men, which depicts the relationship between UFOs, myth-making and the US government, and recently screened at Sheffield Dockfest. For more information about that, and to hear podcasts of today's show and other interviews by myself, Alex Fitch, and Virginie, please go to electricsheepmagazine.com stroke events. The Electric Sheep podcast was recorded, edited, and introduced by Alex Fitch, is a panel borders production, and there'll be a new episode online soon. Thanks for listening.